What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. I am your host, Maverick Levy, and as always, I'm excited to get behind this mic and interview some of the best of the best so they can educate you all and I can learn along the way myself about these topics so that when you step into the real world or if you are already in the real world and have graduated, you at least will have this basic level of understanding of how these things actually work in reality. Before we get into another amazing interview that I have lined up for you all this week, there's just a few things as always that I like to go over. I like to stay consistent with the intro because there are new listeners every episode, so I like to give them the same information that I give to you all who have listened and are regular listeners to the show because some people may have never heard this and need to hear this information. So the social media pages for the podcast, there is a page pretty much on every social media platform. The username is at TBOTBpod, and there's a few that you just type out the full name of the show. So it would be the best of the best Maverick's Guide to Success. Second, go to the website if you really found that a guest perked your interest and thought that, okay, maybe this is something I want to do, or maybe they offer a service or a good that I really want. Go to the website TBOTBpod.com. And you can find a way to contact them. You can find a picture of them. There's a few cool different features that you can mess around with on the website. So definitely check it out. And lastly, before we go into the interview, the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Okay, now let's get right into this interview. I am super excited to announce this week's guest, Nicole Espinosa, who is an author of bestsellers that are about short sales, and she is also the owner of Short Sale Queen, which is a short sale company that is ranked number one in the United States for short sale. Welcome to the best of the best, Nicole. How are you? I'm good, Maverick. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to hear what you do and how you do it and how you built it because I know nothing about short sales. When I was doing my due diligence on you, I was like, wow, this is a topic I literally know absolutely nothing about. I didn't even know, you know, when you hear short sale, like I think of shorting a stock is just what comes to mind. (laughs) So when I was like searching this, I was like, wow, I've never have really looked into it. You know, I've heard of it, but I never really knew what it meant. So I'm excited to get into it. But before we get into that, I always like to start the shows off the same way for all the guests who come on by asking some background questions about you so the listener can get to know the guest a little better. So where did you grow up, Nicole? Yeah, um, I grew up in Orlando, Florida. I was originally born in Miami and grew up in Orlando. So completely different than what we're doing now. We're based out of Dallas, Texas. So completely different lifestyle. I've been to Dallas, Texas before. I think, is there a hotel like the Rosewood Mansion or something along those lines. Uh, I tell you, it's a great area. That's all I was going to say. I've been there for work a few times, a few trade shows there, but I love Dallas. So next time I'm there, I'll have to uh, come visit you. But wow, from Miami to Orlando to Dallas, that's the move. So did you go to college? <laughs> I didn't. So as soon as I graduated high school, I was 
you know, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I've always been an entrepreneur. When I was younger, I had a lawn mowing business where I'd hired my neighbors to go mow each other's lawns. I would basically set everything up and they would do the work and I would get paid. And then I was selling phones. So I've always been in sales and always created you know, something out of nothing. And then when I, I kind of fell into real estate, when I moved to Texas um, and started working for a foreclosure brokerage. And so that was my first exposure to real estate. Wow. That's amazing. You know, a lot of the guests that come on the show, they have not gone to college. And I think that is an interesting take because I'm conf- I'm not conflicted on college. I always advise people to go because if you need a fallback plan, you can sometimes fall back on the degree that you have depending on what it is. But needless to say, you know what worked for you and now you're number one in the country. So absolutely everything worked out for you. But when you were a teenager, what did you think you wanted to do for a living? That's a great question. You know, I love when people ask different questions because <laughs> I do a lot of these interviews and sometimes it's like the same thing. So it's always fun. When I was younger, I wanted, uh, truthfully, I wanted to to sing. I wanted to be a singer. (laughs) Wow. That's a a big difference. The short child is singing. Huge difference. I knew that no matter what I was going to do, it was going to be in sales because I knew early on, I knew that I had the ability to talk to people. I was just ignorant on what that was going to do for me when I was older. So I knew when I was younger and when I was a teenager that I wanted to do something in sales. And I loved the idea of creating So I've always been super passionate of like either creating solutions, creating something out of nothing. And that's always how my mind's worked, which is why I didn't do well in school. Like I was really smart and, you know, did well in the tests and things like that, but I was bored. It wasn't something I was passionate about. And, you know, when you are an entrepreneur, you think differently than what school is trying to train you to do. And so I agree with you. I think that if you are going for a specific trade, Like, you know, if you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to be, you know, a lawyer, like whatever, I understand that. But, you know, a lot of people have no clarity of like what they want to do, you know, and we were kind of taught, trained and educated that you have to go to college to be anything, right? Like you have to have a degree, you have to anything, which is further from the truth. I encourage my kids to fuel what they're passionate about and to make a career out of it because life is short, you know, in my world, it's so integrated. So it's great that when I travel for work, that I'm also able to, you know, have personal life too, and kind of integrate those vacations. Well, I'm going to pull out from what you said as a creative aspect, because I think as an entrepreneur, because I am one myself, and obviously, you know, you have way more experience, you're way more successful than I am. You need to be creative because you need to, like you said, solve problems. Problems will come up as an entrepreneur. The ones that are able to adapt to change and figure out how to solve that problem are the ones that end up succeeding. And those that don't have a grasp on change and how to adapt with change or if a problem comes at you, how to face it head on to problem solve it to move on. I think that's a big difference. So I love that you said that. And that's why I wanted to pull that out because, you know, just today there was something that happened that I needed to problem solve on for something for one of the businesses that I have. And it's always going to be there and it's always going to be apparent. And if you don't have that ability and you don't have that skill, it's going to really hinder your ability to become successful. 
Absolutely. So now let's get into the nitty gritty of the interview. I always say nitty gritty, which is, you know, the main meat of the topic. And today will be short sales and short selling and also what it takes to create a business and sometimes enduring failure. So I will be honest and transparent, like I said in the beginning of the show, I absolutely know nothing about short sales. I didn't even know what it meant until I did my due diligence to make these questions for you. But let me ask you this first, Nicole, what does short selling mean for what you do? Like if you had to go into an elementary school classroom and talk about what you did, what is it that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So what I do essentially is I help homeowners that are struggling financially and I help them sell their house without having to owe anything. So generally these homeowners have a financial hardship, but they owe more than the house is actually worth. So they're struggling, they're in foreclosure and they're about to lose their house. So we help them by essentially saving their house, negotiating on their behalf to their bank and the bank takes less than what they owe. So they're able to sell and walk away free and clear from that debt. So the most important thing is that, you know, they are able to move on and not have to go through something as devastating as, you know, a foreclosure and losing the home. Yeah, got it. So there's really then three parties involved in the transaction that you put together. You have the lender, the buyer, and the seller then, is that right? That's correct. And who is the buyer a lot of the times? Like say a homeowner comes to you and says, hey, listen, I'm facing a financial hardship. I need to get rid of the house. I want to use your services. Who's going to be the person that's buying the house and taking over You know that home? Yeah. So the buyer is going to be anybody that it's going to be the same process that you would when you're just trying to sell your home, you're going to put it online on MLS, which is the multiple listing service. And it's going to go out, you know, to all of the third party websites. So it can be anyone, the house, depending on what type of buyer, like if it's an investor or if it's just a first time home buyer is going to depend on the condition of the home. If the house is in great condition, then it can be a first time home buyer or just someone that's wanting to buy the house. If it's heavily distressed, then it would need to be a real estate investor that can pay cash. Got it. Okay. I see what you're saying. And so when you go to the lender and you say, Hey, I need to sell my house. Are you negotiating on the seller's behalf to the lender or are they talking to the lender themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. So we solely represent the homeowner. So it's our responsibility to make sure that that homeowner is taken care of and we're going to bat for them because the banks, their lender, remember, is taking a loss. So they're not very happy. <laughs> they, they don't necessarily want to not pay that fifth, extra $50,000, right? Yeah. So they want to get as much money as possible. So it can be very difficult um, negotiating with these banks who don't want to take a loss, which is why most real estate agents you know, don't know how to do short sales and they stay away from them. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that in all honesty, everyone is a winner at the end of the day because the seller is selling their home. So they're not going to go into foreclosure. Like you said, the buyer is getting a great deal on the home. I guess the lender is sort of in a weird position, but at the end of the day, they're going to get money in terms of if someone has a financial hardship, they may not be able to pay their mortgage or they might go into foreclosure, which is going to just take time. And this is just you know, creating less time that the bank is not going to get money from. So it seems like a win-win for everyone in the, in the situation, of course, and except for the person that is in that financial hardship, because that's never a win for them. But well, it actually is a win for that person because the alternative is that they lose the house and they have to deal with 
the consequences of a foreclosure. And the bank wins because the bank which is actually saving money, even though they're taking a loss, you have to remember at the end of the day, if they move forward with foreclosure, it's very expensive because they have to, you know, hire an attorney to foreclose. They have to take the house back and then they have to maintain it until they sell it. And at the end of the day, they're only going to get the value of what the house is worth. So if they can do that through a short sale, because they have a realtor like us representing them, then they're saving so much money because then the homeowner's cooperating, the house is going to be in good condition as opposed to, you know, if somebody gets foreclosed on, they destroy it or, you know, of course they don't leave it in the best condition, right? Because they're getting foreclosed on. So it's actually is truly a win-win for everyone. The difficult part of the process is getting everybody on board. <laughs> it's getting everybody to agree to the terms. That's why it can be so complicated. Yeah, and you have three people now at the table, the lender, the seller, and the buyer. So it definitely creates more people to disagree, more room for not understanding one side. So I can definitely see how that is a process that may be lengthy in terms of negotiation periods, but what qualifications do you need to have for someone to come to your service and say, hey, Nicole, I want to short sale my home? What would deem someone to be in a financial hardship? Bankruptcy? What do you guys deem as that? Absolutely. So a financial hardship is really anything that is preventing you from not being able to pay that you can't afford it. So it can be a loss of income, a loss of job. It can be you know, a divorce is a very common hardship because you purchase the property as two incomes and one set of expenses. And now that you're getting a divorce, you have two sets of expenses with that same income. So you can't afford the property by yourself. You know, it could be honestly right now, as we're recording this, COVID is now deemed a financial hardship because, you know, the whole country shut down, right? A pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> That's a financial hardship. So it's really anything that we can prove. Okay, I see. So any sort of loss of revenue or loss of household income that would qualify someone to show, hey, this is really going to stress their finances to make this payment, this mortgage payment, or maybe they won't be able to make it at all. That's what's the negotiation that you're bringing to the table and saying, listen, they're not going to be able to do this. That's why this is the best option for all parties. Absolutely. Got it. I see. Okay. I'm starting to get the hang of it, Nicole. I'm starting to get <laughs> there. Doing great. <laughs> so are there ever scenarios where someone has already been sort of in that foreclosure process and then they decide to short sell it? Or is this or short selling always before foreclosures? So actually, most of our clients are already in foreclosure, which means that they're behind and that the bank has hired an attorney to start the process. It doesn't mean that they've already been foreclosed on because if they have, that means they lost the house. So the majority of our clients, they are in active foreclosure and they are about to lose the house. As long as we have time before the foreclosure sale date, we're able to help them. Got it. And how does the homeowners, or in this case, I should say the seller's credit score get affected by a short sale? Yeah. So the biggest impact to their credit is the missed payments. The short sale is actually going to improve their credit because once it's all said and done, they're going to, of course, stop reporting that it's late. It's going to show as a settled debt and then it's going to show paid on their credit. So now they have a transaction or a debt that has been paid. So their credit starts to improve. 
Got it. Now, I always love to give real life examples of a situation that I'm talking about. In this case, it would obviously be a short sale and you use, you know, we can use easy rounded numbers. So can you maybe break down, say a person owns a house and they have a quarter million dollars, $250,000 left on the mortgage and they come to you and they say, hey, I'm in a financial hardship. I need to negotiate. You know, what would that sort of look like just as sort of an example for the listeners to hear? So they come to me and they say they owe 250000 Yes. Okay. So if they owe 250000 the first thing that I would look at is what is the house worth, right? So I, I would look at, okay, if we were to put this on the market, what could we list this for that a buyer would be able to purchase it at? If we determine that the house is really worth 200000 220 or, or something significantly less than that balance and that payoff, then we would proceed with the short sale. So what we factor in is not only that payoff of 250,000, but we also have to make sure that all the closing costs are included in that number. So if someone tells us, Hey, my payoff is 250, that's not including closing costs, which are taxes and the commissions. And, you know, what if they have homeowners associations, most of the time when someone is behind on one thing, they're behind on everything else. So they have HOA dues, which are homeowners association fees. Um, they've got a second mortgage, city liens, all of that we have to factor in. So a lot of times that balance is a lot higher than 250. Got it. Okay. So then you're trying to go then to the lender and say, hey, we can short sell this house for X amount of dollars. That's going to be less than that 250. And they just totally wipe out the debt for the current homeowner of the house. Once it sells then there's no gap that they need to fill if it sells for less than that 250. Correct. So basically what we do is we say, okay, we have an offer. Let's use that 250 number. So they owe 250, but they have another you know, $30,000 worth of fees, closing costs, liens, and things like that, right? Yeah. So now that number is 280. So the offer that we have is 220. That $60,000 difference, we get the lender to take a loss on it and they end up taking less than what is owed. So not only them, but if there's other mortgages and other liens, we have to negotiate with them as well, because if the bank is going to take the loss, they're not going to pay the full amount for those liens that are underneath them. Now, the difference between what is owed and what we sell it for is called the deficiency. So that deficiency, we settle. We get it in writing that the bank forgives that deficiency, that debt, and that they get to walk away free and clear. So it'll be in writing for them at closing so they don't have to worry about being pursued for the difference. Got it. Okay, I see. And my family is in the tax business and that's the path that I am on as well after law school and will study tax law in law school. But I have to ask the question, what are the tax implications of short sales? Absolutely. So in 2007, George Bush put a mortgage debt relief act in place when there started becoming major foreclosures and when short sales started happening. And so basically what that means is if you go through a short sale and that deficiency, the lender has the right to 1099 you for that difference. But if you did a short sale, you are covered under this act that they're now, um, every year they extend it, but they're now trying to make this into a law and you file a 1099 Z, Z is in zebra and it's yep. a wash. Oh, wow. Interesting. 
Okay, so the tax implication and the impact that it has on your credit actually isn't as bad, I guess I should say, as I thought it was going to be for something like this, especially, and now that you said it, you're right, you know, missing those payments prior to getting into the position to short sale is probably more hurt to your credit than helps when you have a debt cleared after the sale of your home. So that makes perfect sense. And of course, I'll always have to give a plug to my family's business. If you do need any help with any tax matters, you can contact our office, Levy & Associates. Our phone number is 800-TAX-LEVY. And you can also visit our website, levytaxhelp.com. But getting back into the short sale world and the short sale topic, what role do realtors play in short sales? Is, is it the same where you list the house with an agent and they show it and they negotiate or how does that work? How do they play in with you guys? Yeah. So we are actually licensed realtors. So we represent the homeowner just as a listing agent and we are the ones that facilitate the process and do the negotiations. So the listing agent really has the control of the entire transaction because the listing agent is the one in communication with the bank, negotiating and facilitating the entire process. So it's actually very the agent is probably the most important role in the transaction in the short sale because if the agent doesn't know what they're doing, it's never going to be successful. Um, the bank is communicating directly with them, not with the homeowner. And so if they don't know what they're doing, I mean, a lot of people can get foreclosed on just because of the lack of knowledge. And unfortunately, in this industry, this is the one niche that there is hardly any information about even on a national level. And it's because they don't fully understand. So that's why I'm very passionate about teaching other realtors and teaching other real estate investors and people in the industry, because I do know about it. So I want to make sure that we're educating people so they don't put homeowners in a situation where they lose their homes because they chose the wrong person to represent them. I think it's definitely one of those things where, you know, I'll put on my tinfoil hat for a second. I don't know if it's one of those things where the banks know that they're probably going to be taking a loss on something. So they don't want people to know about it. And so they're trying to combat it on that end. But then taking off the tinfoil hat for a second, it's just one of those topics that people pray that they don't end up in a position that they need a short sale. But I think it's an amazing option that is there for those that are in a financial hardship and do need to put themselves in a position that, you know, they're debt free in terms of owning their house and trying to get something figured out. But now I want to talk about the timeline and how long it takes for this whole process to take place because of the negotiation that goes on. So if someone comes to you, calls you, emails you, comes to your office, however they find you, from that initial sit down or a conversation about how long, and obviously it's going to be a sliding scale because the house is going to get listed for sale, but how long would you typically say on average that these short sales take? So every short sale is different. This is of course the number one question. It's also the hardest to answer <laughs> because every short sale is different because every homeowner's financial situation is different. So our process with the short sale queen our average is two to three months from start to finish, but the industry average is a year. So it's a huge difference because most, like I said, most realtors have no clue. And so because of that, they don't know the paperwork to send to the bank. So they're waiting on the bank to tell them. So it takes months and months and months of going back and forth. But we try to get it done as soon as possible. We have a process and a system that I've created you know, and have perfected over the years that we utilize today. And we do on a high volume. We work with over a hundred clients a month. So a hundred sellers a month. 
Amazing. No, listen, that's why you are the best of the best. You have the experience, you have the knowledge, you have the longevity in the industry, and that's why you are the best of the best in getting this done. So if any of the listeners out there do need help with a short sale of their home, make sure you reach out to Nicole and her company, The Short Sale Queen. Of course, her information when this episode goes live will be listed on the podcast website, Pod. Now, this is a question that I have because I'm very interested in the past few months, I've been really deep diving into real estate and investing in real estate because something that perks my interest. So I'm wondering, do you see a lot of people that are buying these short sale homes? Are they seeing them as investment opportunities because the price might be a little more competitive because you're trying to sell the house? Or do you not see that because of the crazy housing market that's going on right now due to COVID? Yeah. So there is definitely a lot of great opportunities if the property is distressed. So if the property needs repairs, it's easy for us to justify a discount, um, which could be a great opportunity for someone that's looking to invest in the real estate market. Now, if the property is a beautiful retail home, it's going to be a lot harder to get a discount because the banks are wanting, you know, obviously as much as possible so that they can mitigate their losses. But there are, you know, a ton of transactions that we do monthly that go to investor real estate investors that are at a discount and, you know, are great investments. Got it. No, I totally see that. And because I sort of talked about the crazy real estate market that's going on, I don't know if it's crazy. I think it's crazy everywhere pretty it is. much. But it it's, is. A nationwide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy everywhere. So how does that impact, you know, short sales? Are you seeing more? Are you seeing less? How is that impacting short sales because it's so crazy? Yeah. So honestly, it's been great for clients that were marginally underwater, which what I mean by that are clients that, yes, they were upside down, but it was by an insignificant amount, maybe 10, 20, $30,000, right? Which to us, it seems like a lot, but it's really not if you're in a crazy market like this where people are overbidding because there's no inventory. So we have had situations where it was originally a short sale based on the comps that have sold, right? The values that we were able to pull, but because there was no inventory in that area, someone overpaid and, you know, submitted an offer over list price, which ended up being a full payoff. So in that situation, you know, it's amazing for the client. They don't have to go through that process and they just get everything paid off. Now for clients that have been behind on their mortgage for a significant amount of time, it doesn't matter how crazy the market is. It's not going to make a difference on whether we do a short sale or not. A lot of people don't know that when you're falling behind, you, whenever you do some type of loan modification, which is basically assistance with the lender to remodify or modify the terms of your loan, you lose all your equity to late fees and interest and foreclosure fees. And they tack all of that on, you know, on the back of the loan. And so a lot of people don't understand, like, I'm looking at my mortgage statement and I see my balance is 300,000. I'm like, well, that would be your balance. It's called your unpaid principal balance. That would be your balance if you were current. But now you order the payoff and you owe 390. And they can't wrap their brain around that. That's insane. I'm like, I know, but you know, that big stack of paperwork you signed at closing when you bought the house, you gave them permission to charge you those crazy amounts. So 
yeah, it's nuts. So even in the best market, it doesn't matter. I mean, I always post on social media, like the crazy balances I'll see because it still blows my mind that they have the right to do this. Like we had someone that was five years behind and their mortgage doubled. Like their original wow. balance was 220,000. That's what they bought the house for. And their payoff was 410. It's almost criminal that they're, <laughs> they're able to charge that much you know, but that's, that's what it is. So did you see during COVID, because I know a lot of lending institutions were allowing you to sort of pause uh, your mortgage payments for a few months, depending on who your mortgage was through. But did you see a lot of them during like the real lockdown of COVID when no one was leaving pretty much all over? But did you see lending institutions be more flexible than ever during those times? So that's called forbearance. When you put a pause on your mortgage payment and Basically, everyone has been protected by forbearance for the last year. It's expiring on June 30th. So now there hasn't been any foreclosures. There hasn't been anything because we've had so many people that were protected, which is why there has been such a shortage of inventory, which is why the market's crazy right now because of everything that's happened. So the banks right now in the background are actually overloaded with applications because now as the time frame comes up where it's expiring, people know they have to do something. So if anything, the banks are wanting to foreclose because they haven't been able to this last year. So they are not messing around now. <laughs> I see. Yeah, no, definitely. That makes sense because they've had this period where, you know, everything was in lock and shut down. So they couldn't really do anything, but now things are opening back up. And it's crazy to me. There's so much money out there right now. People are buying houses. Every single commodity, I feel like, went up in price that was already high before. It just keeps going up. So I don't know. I don't know if the bubble's going to burst at what point. That's a different conversation for a different time. But it just, the, the real estate market, it blows my mind. Even in Michigan, it just blows my mind how it's like that, where houses are going for 50000 over asking. People are putting bids in for 25000 over asking, and they're getting outbidded by someone that's bid 50 grand over asking. It's crazy to me. Well, let me tell you a real life story if you think that's crazy. So we had a client in November of last year that in Austin that listed their house at 205 and they could not get an offer. So based off of that, they hired us to do a short sale in January. They were like, okay, we can't sell it traditionally. So then we go through the process and it was difficult because it, you know it took a little bit longer because of her situation. But anyways, we get the bank's appraisal back and the bank tells us, hey, the house is actually worth 220. And we were like, okay, well, she tried listing it, but you know what? The housing market's gotten better. Sure, let's list it. So we listed it at 220, which is $15,000 higher than what she couldn't sell it before. We just closed last week because we got an offer at 295. Oh my God, that is so crazy. Two ninety five. We were literally looking at it like, what? And her payoff, like, you know, she ended up walking away with like $65,000 after all the costs and she was a short sale and she could not sell it. And this wasn't like years ago. This was in November. And so we were just sitting here like, this is insane. She hasn't done anything to the house. The house has been vacant. If anything, it's gotten worse condition. So if that doesn't tell you where the market is, I was blown away. And it's not worth that. 
like it's worth 200 <laughs> max. <laughs> it's so crazy. It, I'm seriously like my jaw dropped. Literally, it literally dropped because that is just, it's crazy. You hear all these kinds of stories where houses are just going for way over asking and it's just like blows my mind because, you know, a lot of people are in a financial hardship. So it's like these people that aren't and it seems like it's going on like crazy where everyone just wants to buy a house, have a home, which I understand because if you were, if you didn't have a house during COVID, it definitely was probably tough for you, you know, whether you lived in an apartment, in a condo, in, you know, some kind of place where you didn't have your own space, I can see why that was a drive and a push to get people to buy their own house so they can have their own property, you know, they can do as they please. But getting back on track of the interview, I want to get into some advice about short sales because that's what I always, I always break up the interview in a few different parts. And this is now the advice part of it because I have a lot of young listeners to the show, whether they're in high school, college, just graduated from college. And I like to give them advice about what people do in case they're interested about it. So let's get into that for a minute. But before we do, so people know the longevity that you have, how long have you been in the short selling industry for? Yeah. So I have been in the industry since 2009. So I've been doing this for 11 years. Amazing. So listen to that. Another reason why she's the best of the best, everyone. But now, like I said, let's go into the advice. So if someone wants to get into short sales, what steps would you advise them to take to just get their feet wet to see if they like it? Yeah. So if you're wanting to get into this niche, I mean, first you have to be licensed. So you have to get your real estate license in order to represent homeowners. Um, The best thing to do is to learn as much as possible before you take on a client. There's so many resources out there that we've put out between our books. We have courses and, you know, on YouTube alone, I put out so many free videos for people. And honestly, just understand that this process, everything is negotiable. So everything is about providing solutions. So if you can know the right questions to ask, you don't need to know everything. You just have to go in with the mindset of, okay, I need to help this client. I need to create a solution. If you're telling me no, you're either the wrong person or I'm asking the wrong question. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And moving on that to another question, how are you making money on it from a real estate agent standpoint? Is that how you make money on the deal then? Yes. So we charge a commission to the bank and the bank actually pays us. Oh, wow. Wow. So they're writing that check right away. I hope if it's the bank. I wish, um, but unfortunately it's not until we close. (laughs) Yeah, well, of course, but that's amazing though. So then that's how, if someone does get in short sales, they're commissioned by the bank then and the bank pays you. Yes. Got it. I got you. And they should be paying you because you're the one taking on the negotiation that's in the long run going to help them out to not have to worry about, you know, paying an attorney for foreclosure and, you know, doing an auction, all those kinds of things. So it's definitely, definitely seems to be a help on their end. But if you had to teach a college level course about short sales that every student that goes to university had to take, what would be the one thing that you would hope every student would walk away from? having learned from that course? It's a great question. I would go back to my earlier point of advice of saying, of really honing in the right questions to ask. So I would cover the main points of the process and how to really navigate and facilitate the process so that once they leave, they're not going to know the answers to everything, but they are going to know what they need to do to get there. 
Yeah, and I want to just have some clarification. When you say the right questions to ask, are you saying the right questions that the person that wants to get into short sales should be asking who? Should be asking the lender. Got it. Okay, I see. Because that's who you're doing the negotiations with, and that's how you're facilitating the process. Yeah, and go ahead and plug you know your books and your programs that you put out for people to learn about this stuff. Go ahead and give uh, the listeners the info of how they can get access to them and buy them and read them or yeah. watch them. So first and foremost, we put out weekly free content on YouTube. So you can go to The Short Sale Queen, so YouTube, and then just put The Short Sale Queen and you'll see our channel. So you'll see weekly videos there that you can subscribe to. Um, that you can start learning. And then our books that we wrote, we wrote a how-to guide. Uh, the inspiration was like the dummy books, right? Like real estate for dummies. We did kind of like a short sell for dummies book. And it's a step-by-step guide for anyone that wants to become the expert in this niche. And it's 340 plus pages. And it also includes our short sell packet that we've created that we sent to the bank. So it's literally everything you need to know. And then we have an actual course of 12 videos that you can become certified on our website. So you can go to the ssqueen.com and you can see all that information there. All right. Love it. So if it seems like a great industry. So for all the listeners out there, if you're interested in real estate, definitely take a look. Her website, Nicole's website, The Short Sale Queen is awesome. I went it and checked it out and looked at it. So whoever built that website, it's a great website, Nicole. I really like it. Thank you. Yeah. So it's really cool. Go check it out. Lots of info to learn on there. That's, you know, I did my due diligence a lot on her website, but Now I want to shift this conversation into a more business-driven one that focuses on entrepreneurship, your past that has got you to where you are today. Because I know, you know, when we were first introduced to each other, shout out to Jeremy. He always, he always gives me great guests. But I think when I hear, you know, stories of people that endured failure and then brought themselves success from that failure and built themselves up and got themselves up off the ground. I know that you built the company up from nothing more than one time. So what I'm going to do for the next portion of the show for a few minutes is just give you the floor to tell your story. Because I think a lot of times just hearing the stories of people that go, you know, from failing to succeeding to back to failing, maybe back to success, it shows people that it's never always going to be, you know, winning the lotto. I always say on the show, in order to succeed, I truly believe that you have to endure failure. But while you endure failure, you have to learn why you failed so it doesn't happen again. And so I always like to talk about that and bring it up. So Nicole, the floor is yours for a couple of minutes. Just talk about how you got to where you are and failures that you endured along the way, how you got past them. So I will let you tell the audience your little story. Absolutely. I will try to do this in a couple of minutes. So it's a great segue into what we originally talked about, how we are taught, trained, and educated that there's really only one way to success, right? You have to go to college, you have to get a degree. And in my generation, there was not much clarity or really education on the fact that, you know, as entrepreneurship, like there's no entrepreneurs in my family. And I was very lost when I was young, right? So I graduated high school, I come out, I get into the real estate industry and I see so much opportunity, especially in this niche that no one knew anything about. 
So I get my license. I start this business. I just start learning because there's no one to actually learn from because no one really understood it. So I just had to create it. So I start talking to banks. I start developing my process. And then eventually after a couple years, once I learned it and I perfected it, I started teaching it. So as I started scaling, you know, it's one thing to be a high producing salesperson. It's another thing to be a CEO, entrepreneur, and a leader. A lot of times when you are starting a business, immediately you're like, I'm really good at this. This is what, you know, you're killing it in sales, but your mindset is completely different as a leader of an organization as it is as an entrepreneur, just trying to get things done. And just out of complete ignorance, the way I was running things was just in a get it done way, which was great when I was doing sales, but not when I was trying to run my business because I was in my business. So I didn't have time to work on my business. And I mean, when we talk about failure, I learned more from my failures than I have my success. And I think it's really important to understand that and embrace it. I wish that I would have really gotten over myself and tried to talk to people much smarter than me a lot faster because I probably could have fast tracked, <laughs> but I was very stubborn. I had tenacity. I had, I knew in my mind, I had this vision of what I wanted to create and I would just keep hitting walls. I would, you know, there were days where I wouldn't even be able to make payroll and I just didn't understand why I'm like I'm making sales, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't have my business structured for it to make sense. I was spending more than I was making. And it was mostly because I'm like, here, here's my card. No problem. I'm going to go make more money. And that's a trap that entrepreneurs fall into as we're building our business, because we're so focused on making money and less focused on keeping it right. It's cool to say, Oh, well I did 10 sales, but like, what do you have to show for it? And it wasn't until I was very humbled where, I mean, I had done like a six figure month and I couldn't make my, like at the time, $5,000 payroll. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> what am I doing? Right. And just this miseducation of money, right? Like when you grow up without money, you start getting a lot of it and you don't know what to do with it. And you, you almost self-sabotage because you're like, you almost feel like you don't deserve it. So you just spend it because that's what you know. And, you know, this whole idea of survival is what I thrived on. So I would put myself in situations where my back was against the wall and then I would come out from underneath it, but it was exhausting. The first time that everything kind of went to crap, I had let go of my entire staff because basically they weren't really doing anything. They were kind of warm bodies. They weren't a good fit for the role. And that was on me as the leader. So I just let them go. And it was just me and my organization. And I remember I came to this point where I was like, you know what? I'm either going to figure this out or I'm done. <laughs> like I had torn everything down and started from scratch. And so I started my clients and things like that, but I had started from scratch on the way that I was hiring on how I was, you know, hiring out the tasks and how I was building my organization. And I started putting myself in rooms with people that were much smarter than me. I started reading books that talked the exact opposite of how I thought, because we are always the trap that we have is that we're attracted to people like us. So the people that I was hiring was like me, they were salespeople. Well, guess what? They were terrible at office work. <laughs> yeah. They were terrible at systems. They were terrible at implementing processes. And so because of that, that's why we weren't getting anywhere because they thought like me and I needed to hire intentionally and be specific with the roles that I was needing for my organization. And the only way to do that was to take a step back 
and remove myself so that I could get perspective on what was going on. So fast forward, you know, I had this journey of really honestly, self-development on myself as a leader, because I had to change my perspective and my mindset in order to be the CEO, in order to be that person from that salesperson, because I knew that this was not the life I wanted. I did not want to work 60, 70 hours a week and just basically have a self-employed job. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. What is the point of this? All I did was create a job for myself. (laughs) This isn't a business. And so I had talked to, you know, that's the other thing that we kind of fall into is the grind and hustle of, you know, with our ego of like, oh, look what we're doing. We're not sleeping. We're working, we're grinding, we're making money. And it's like, no, that's not anything to brag about. Like, I want to brag about the fact that I'm only working 10 hours this week. I, you know, the time that I am working, it's the time that I'm intentionally like, it's what I want to do. It's not what I have to do. Absolutely. Everything that you've said thus far is truly all the listeners need to take that in and learn from it and absorb it because you're the epitome that things don't come overnight. It takes time. It takes hard work. It takes dedication. And the old saying, blood, sweat, and tears, it's, I'm sure you've endured all of that to get to where you are today. Absolutely. (laughs) There's nothing about this that's been easy. There's nothing about this that didn't come with an immense amount of struggle and drinking a lot of wine and questioning my sanity of like, you know, there's people every step of the way that are like, are you sure you want to do this? You've been trying for so long and you're not, haven't been successful. And, you know, of course, fast forward to today, people see your highlight reel and they're like, wow, you're doing so well. This is crazy. And I'm like, yeah, but do you, and I'm, I never stopped being so grateful because I remember it like it was yesterday. Like I know what it took to get here. And it was, me continuing to move forward, trusting in my vision and really having the tenacity to not give up because you only fail when you quit. Like everything else is just a very expensive lesson. (laughs) And if you're smart, you learn from that lesson. (laughs) You don't do the same thing over again. So exactly. That's what I always say. You know, like if you make a mistake in life or if you endure failure in any way, don't just move on from it and say, oh, that, that it is what it is. No, learn from the situation and say, okay, number one, why did I fail? And number two, how can I make sure that this isn't going to happen again? How can I make sure that this same mistake isn't going to happen again? And maybe when you change, another mistake will be made, but it's a trial and error process in a lot of things in life. And it's the ability, you know, what sets you aside as being the best of the best is the ability to endure that and continue to move on, continue to move forward, continue to grow as an individual, continue to grow your business, continue to grow, you know, I'm sure, you know, as as a mom, it's hard sometimes to do both. You know, you have two full-time jobs pretty much. So I can only imagine, you know, what it's like for you sometimes and when you were going through that. But I really appreciate you being open to telling that story for all the listeners and breaking everything down that you went through to get to where you are today. Because a lot of people, they learn from it. They really do. I mean, and if no one does, I do, Nicole. I always like to hear that because I like to hear where people are at in their life and that are further than me and better than me and uh, more experienced than me because I now can take these people's information and input it into my life and into my entrepreneurship and say, okay, now I know that this person 
person went through this and I can relate to them, right? It's not, I'm not all alone. This isn't like I'm failing and I'm drowning. It's okay, I need someone, you know, a, a lifeguard to come and rescue me. But those people are out there that can help you. And there's people out there that can have parallels with you in terms of failing and enduring failure and making mistakes in business. So I really, really, really appreciate you being open to saying that on the show. And I have two last questions for you before we head out of here. The first is, how can someone contact you if they want to? So the easiest way to contact me is to go to our website, uh, vssqueen.com, and it has all of our direct information on there. Amazing. And now for the last question of the interview, and this is one that I ask every guest and for the last question, it is, Nicole, what do you wish that you knew when you were in your early 20s? I wish that I knew that all of this, everything that I was going through was going to be worth it because there were times where it was so hard to not get discouraged. If I would have known that everything that I was going through, the jobs that I had, the struggles that I went through, that it was going to give me the skills to be who I am today, then I feel like it would have been a lot easier to go through. Because every single thing that I've had to go through has taught me and has shaped me into the person that I am today. Yeah. No, listen, I love that answer. I've actually had that answer once before on the show. I'm, I forget. I'm sorry who said it. I forget who it was. But you have to know that you know, you got to keep pushing. That's what I always say. I always say on the show, always be learning, always be growing and always lead by example. Those are like some of the things that I always say, the taglines of the show. And it's true. And that that you always have to do those things because look at if you would have gave up, who knows what would have happened, but you kept going, you kept your drive, your motivation up. But Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the show. I learned a lot. I love your energy. I love what you do. I love that you're an entrepreneur. I love that you're a great mom. I love it all. So I learned a lot from the interview. I hope that you all listening also learned a lot. And this is a great topic. This is one of those topics that can really help people. You know, if maybe yourself is going through financial hardship, maybe you have a family member, a friend, a coworker, and they don't know this option exists, but now you do and you can help them and you can, you know, sort of give them the gist and run down just from this brief interview. So thank you so much, Nicole. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. I know I say it every time after the interviews and when I go on to the outro, but what a great interview. It's been a while, but remember that you will hit a brick wall with success. And when I say it's been a while, I mean it's been a while since I've talked about this. That you'll hit a brick wall in terms of success, however you measure success, if you don't always have the mindset to always be learning, always be growing, always be leading. I've said it before, but I'll say it again, time after time. Anyone can take away everything from you. They can take away what you have, what you own, what you wear, but they cannot take away what you know. So knowledge is truly power and it's something that no one can ever take away from you. Experiences in life is something that no one can ever take away from you. So make sure that you're taking all of those in. You're absorbing everything you learn. You're absorbing all of the experiences that you encounter in life because those are what's going to set you up for success in terms of how can I go about doing this a certain way or have I seen others fail this way? Also, As a listener to the show, I hold everyone to a higher standard. So I want you all, and you should all, and you must be leading by example, 
always learning, always growing, always doing the most that you can to set yourself up for success again however you measure success, whether that's getting to a good mental health status, physical health status, financial status, however you measure success, because people do measure it in different ways. So make sure that you understand that you're held to a higher standard by listening to this show. You're held to a standard to be the best of the best in what you do in life. But that's it for this week, everyone. I cannot wait to talk to you all on another episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. Thanks everyone.